Welcome to The Underlay, a Clever Choice podcast, where we go inside and under the flooring industry. Well, here we are, another episode of The Underlay, and it's a special one this week. We've got a very special guest with us, but before we get to him, Michael, GM of Clever Choice with me as always. How are you, mate? Good morning, Matt. Feeling um, feeling quite uh, relaxed, stress-free, living well, out in the land. You've had a week off. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a week off. I did laugh when I got the email reply saying that you were on annual leave. Yeah, well, I was definitely on annual leave from Clever, mm. but um, moving is not what I classify as a week off. No, it's not. It's probably a very, very tough week. Yeah, um, moved out to Jimboomba. Got myself eight acres and, um, yeah, realising that having multiple paddocks is not a walk in the park. And I'll tell you what, you're a quick learner, Michael, and that's what I love about you the most. Yeah, thanks, Matt. You know, they've, they've, they've already moved from yards to paddocks in the space of about 15 minutes. So well done. You got a gun yet? N- not yet. but um, It's got to be have... high on the list, though. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, especially up there. with your clever choice Christmas party just around the corner. Yeah, looking forward to that yeah. next Saturday night. Very nice. Going to be wild. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, our special guest this week is a another partner of Clever Choice. Their logistics partner, an important part of the cog. And with us in the panic room is Jake Bocock from One Global Logistics. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Good morning, gentlemen. I appreciate you having me on. Morning, Jake. Mate, it's our pleasure. Just quickly, Christmas party. You said uh, you said Saturday night. That's it's it's it's, it's actually a night thing as well. Uh, yeah, well, it's going to start off during the day. Oh, Jesus, here we go. A little bit of uh, putt putt for the kids. Okay, and then oh, I'm, um, I'm a big fan of putt putt. Yeah, putt-putt. can't play can't play golf usually, so putt putt's usually. Oh, a good thing I, I for don't me. know. I've I've got some vision that says that you're not a terrible golfer. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I thought that was going to be a much worse statement. Yeah. I appreciate that. No, it's good to be here, boys. Good to be here. Michael's, uh, I'm always happy to sit down with you two. So putting you guys all in a room together is, this is going to be fun, I think. This is going to be good. It's always yeah, fun. It's, well, it, you mentioned the word logistics and all of a sudden people's pulse rates lift. Uh, it's an exciting topic and a lot's gone on, I guess, in the last three years, especially uh, with freight forwarding. And I guess the relationship that you formed with Clever Choice and, and the role that you play in their business, which is a, a vital cog, just ensuring that they have stock for one bit, yeah, it's yeah. where it, where it, where it all starts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think actually, Michael, you just made the, the comment that you are stress free today. Which, yes. by the sounds of it, I'm doing a very good job. Then it means <laughs> you have plenty of cargo. No, freight forwarding, yeah, definitely um, has been very interesting over the last two three years. COVID definitely affected every industry, but freight forwarding and the international trade was very heavily affected. Um, it's yeah, from from port congestion to the ridiculous rates that fed down to what consumers were paying for bananas. Um, everything was affected from A to Z. So I think we definitely have seen a little bit of a, an ease on that pressure throughout 2022. Um, but I think the tables, are again, are about to shift, and I think we'll see some some pressure into next year, I think, yeah. And what's the cause for that? So like everything, um, supply and demand controls the industry. So... Uh, in the last two years, we saw the demand was extremely high. Um, everything was cheap. Money was cheap for the last two years. So 
the freight rates were high. The, the, the space on vessels was very tight, as you would know. Uh, that all changed this year and no one was buying any cargo and there's, there's, there's plenty of space on these vessels and the rates are dirt cheap. So the way that that has... The way that has affected the market is the shipping lines now are going to be pulling vessels out of rotation. So we're basically hearing that that the, the big players in the market are going to be pulling vessels out of rotation from the 15th of December. Right. Which basically, again, is supply and demand. You take you, you take the vessels out, off the, out of the ocean, there's less space for importers to use and they have to now pay higher rates to get that space. Um, That's a bit sneaky. It is, yeah. It's, it's. I get asked this question quite often: Is it regulated? And we're told it is regulated. Doesn't doesn't sound like it is. No, no absolutely not. not. No, I think the way I picture it is, you know, you got your big boys like MSC, OCL, and Maersk, and they have a barbecue on a Friday afternoon. They have a few beers as as the as as, as everyone does, and then they discuss who's going to pull which vessels out of the water. Oh no, I, I think it would start with a piss take. It'd be like, what? what wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be fun? Imagine this. <laughs> Imagine if we took imagine if we took a boat out. And then and then ACL, double ACL goes, Yeah. Imagine if we did that. And I then Merce goes, right. Yeah, we'll take one out. Yeah, too. you know what? Why don't why don't we do that? And then no one knows if they're serious. And then next thing they're serious. I think you're I think it's crazy how correct you are. I think because it does happen like that. We we hear rumors in the market of someone pulling a vessel out or someone adding five hundred US to a container. But it's never certain until one player starts to do it. They they dip their toes in the water, and then another one does it, and then another one does it, and then all of a sudden we're in the situation that we were in two years ago, where the rate was twelve thousand US for a container. So, um, but that's why you have partners like us. So we'll we, we we monitor the market and we stay in contact with the guys over in in China and in Southeast Asia, and we make sure that our importers are, are fully educated and they've got all the information they need and. Um, the only thing you can do is is prepare and adapt. It's the only thing you can do at the moment because, as you just said, we have no control. The shipping lines control the market, and that's how it's going to stay. I think. So, what can someone like Clever Choice do to, I guess, hedge our hedge our bets? Yeah, I think it's hard to say. It's hard to hedge your bets on the on the industry. I think the relationships you have with your freight forwarder is very important. Um, because it's very easy for us to say that the rate's doubled when it hasn't. Um, where, you know, the, you've got to not put all your eggs in one basket. I think that's very important, which you guys don't, um, which is very important. I think having multiple partners is, is, is a very good idea to keep everyone honest. But the idea of hedging your bet doesn't, it doesn't work. I think you need to basically trust in your freight forwarder, book early, and listen to the advice that we give. Because often that advice is based on, the, the amount of allocation at the time, uh, the, the rate where we see either increasing or decreasing depending on what the market is doing. Um, the only way you can really hedge it is by using a few different freight forwarders to, to work off multiple allocations, I think. Yep. So your role, I guess, has just become exponentially more important. Being if ease on the ground, you're in the thick of it. And for instance, like, just all the travel that you've been doing lately, you've been spending quite a bit of time in Asia, looking at new markets, looking at new opportunities. That's only adds to your uh, importance to someone like Clever Choice. You can come back. You've got you got all that little inside info that you can pass on. Yeah, absolutely. That's well, that's what it's about. I think um, the role of anyone in a supply chain role has become extremely important in the last two years, and I think that the entire every industry, no matter what you're in. 
saw the importance of having someone in as an expert with supply chain. Everyone saw that. You know, the 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 urgency to have someone like that on your team was it, it just grew th- overnight. Um, and yes, that's why we make trips overseas. We go see Southeast Asia. We think that there's there may be a, a slight shift in the China Australia trade market. Um, China is obviously everyone knows China is very volatile and that affects trade. Um, it's also becoming very expensive to have labor in China. I, for example, we, we were in Vietnam two weeks ago and we were speaking to some of the guys over there and uh, your average per hour rate for labor in China is about US $6.50, US $7. In Vietnam, it's $1.50, $2.00, So you're looking at half the price to have the exact same labor force in a different country. The only issue is the quality. The, the quality needs to kind of that that needs to catch up to China, and of course your free trade agreement. The free trade agreement with China is why that market is so strong. But it's only a matter of time before Australia signs off on that because it's only Australia. These these Southeast Asian countries are all screaming for a free trade agreement with Australia. It's it's only us that needs to sign off on that. Right. Um, India's India's made made the first jump. They've they've agreed, and it's been signed. Australia has signed off on that to start the end of this month, the twenty eighth of December. Um, I think a lot of the other countries will follow, yes. So for the people out there that don't know what a free trade agreement is, can you explain that? Yeah, so a free trade agreement is basically the agreement between two countries. So when to use China as an example, uh, you bring in goods from China, you don't have to pay duty on those goods. It's a free trade of it's a free trade agreement that 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 wipes out the duty that is applicable to the cargo that you're bringing in. So, for example, anything out of Europe, you pay duty on. Um, anything out of Vietnam, you pay duty on. Um, Indonesia, you pay duty on. So the, the, the benefit of going to China is you save substantially just on that duty. Um, and again, I think the more that, that suppliers look at diversifying into other countries south, like Southeast Asia, the importance of having those free trade agreements grows. And I think Australia's the government and the the biosecurity and the quarantine, everything's going to have to come together and, and start signing off on these free trade agreements. So I guess that China had it so good for so long. They were providing cheap labour, cheap everything. Australia signed a free trade agreement. Why would they need to go anywhere else? I guess now that the volatility of China is just essentially saying we need to move. Yeah. Yeah, the, so the factories in China are often owned by US uh, corporations now as well, so that's why you see those higher labor ch- those higher labor costs. And um, look, I could I could we could do a whole podcast on the issues in China. That you've got energy issues, you've got uh, COVID issues, where you, you know some of the biggest regions in China, such as Shanghai, they can have thirty positive cases and they will shut the city down. Um, they have a zero tolerancy in place. So while that's in place, and while the government c- continues to push that. Uh, it's yeah, China is just it's it's very volatile. It's very volatile, and I think other countries are starting to see that. And it's if you're a big importer with with your own factories over in China, it's I think it is time to start looking at diversifying, at least having a backup, even if it's one tenth of your production, have it there in case, um, because we don't know what's going to happen next week. Well, you you don't want all your eggs in one basket. I think that's what it's been for too long. It's given China way too much power. We definitely need to diversify elsewhere. Yeah, I think yeah, it's it's important. You know, China can basically do what they want with us. They they definitely need us a lot more than it seems. Um, you know, they shut off commodities for for our export market within six months. They'd they'd release them, and we they wanted them back. So, um, 
and for, for for their export market as well, where we're still a very big player. But um, I think the more important the more important for China it's going to start to become is because America isn't buying anything. America, they're just they're, their hand is in their pocket and they're keeping it in there at the moment. Um, and that's the same with Southeast Asia. We spend a lot of time speaking to these guys in Vietnam and Bangkok, where their largest markets were Trans Pacific, Trans Pacific. So, which is uh, Southeast Asia over to America. And some of these companies are 91% dependent on Canada and America, and they're not buying. There is nothing going to America. So I think these countries, not just China, are realizing, well, we, Australia is a good market. Mm. You know, so it, what, why aren't America buying? It's a lot of factors. I think money's just not as cheap as it used to be. There's still a fear of recession. There's um, America's got a very they're, they're very heavy congested as well. I think they're just I, I don't know I don't know. It's, it, there's a lot of different factors that go into that. Um, but from what we're seeing, the numbers are just decreasing every week. Yeah. So would America be um, manufacturing like bringing that back in home? Like- Absolutely. Yeah. There's that. That's that's a that's a massive factor. Um, the, the infrastructure industry over there in, in most industries, in, in most commodity industries, are they're looking at uh, in-house manufacturing again. Um, they're opening up big warehouses again because it's not as cheap as it used to be in China. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's good to have it, you know, you know onshore. It's, it's, it's better to have more control. And um, yeah, no, you're dead right. That's a, that's a huge factor. I think America is very, it's a very proud country as well. And um, I think a lot of those big corporations just don't want to deal with someone like China at the moment because of their relationship. China and America's relationship is very broken. Yeah. 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 Are, are you seeing a similar trend within Australia? Are you seeing manufacturing lifting within Australia? Because if from from a layman looking throughout COVID where it became, you know, Australia first, all this kind of stuff and buy Australian and all and is are you seeing any reaction to that? And especially now that you obviously that labour is more expensive in China and Money yeah. isn't as cheap as it was. Yeah, I, I, I don't spend a lot of time looking at the numbers in that perspective. I don't know if, you know, the Australian-made uh, platform and that that push has done a lot. Um, from a freight forwarder's point of view, buying Australian-made, is it's, it's a very touchy subject for us because buying Australian-made, everything is still brought in from overseas. You can make things in Australia, but 95% of the commodity, well, 95% of the product is still brought in from overseas. So yeah, right. it's hard to say, you know, you know, buy Australia, buy Australian made, Australian made, Australian made. I absolutely, you need to support your local, support support all of that, absolutely. But, and it does make it very hard for them to compete against the big boys. But no, I don't know. I, in respective to the numbers, whether they're being substantially altered or, you know, I, I we don't see it. Everywhere's dropping, and I don't think that that campaign has anything to do with it. I don't think there's. I don't think that's. Yeah, I don't think that's a big push for yeah, the fair for the decrease in imports. I don't think it is. No. So where's the next big? Where's the next big boom? Where, where's the next shift coming? You said that we just started with India. Do you think it's Southeast Asia? Do you think it's Indonesia? Do you think it's? We think it is. Yeah. Um, you could. I. I. You know. There's plenty of freight forwarders out there. I don't, I don't know if, if if someone else will have a different opinion, but we think it is. We think the. The, the constant communication that we're having with our larger importers that are looking at diversifying into those Southeast Asia or South Asia countries is there's a reason for that. I think that um, everyone is, is is looking at them as the next big player. Um, I think I think well I think that's the only feasible option. Really, you're not going to start all of a sudden. You're not going to go from China and start importing out of Europe. 
um, you're not going to start importing out of the US. They're two different, complete, completely different markets. But with Southeast Asia, I think they can make the same commodity and they can get to the same levels of quality and they can do it for cheaper. Why not? I think it's it's a, it's it's a it's a good idea. I think. Yeah. I think it's 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 definitely something that I would be looking at if I was an importer of a large scale. Mm. And that's obviously going to then help you know those countries and you know develop develop them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the time we spend over there as well, they're screaming for work. You know, some of those warehouses have been shut down. Um, in in Ho Chi Minh, we were told that most of the the factories are working three days a week. Um, they're screaming for work, so they're ready. They you know they're they're open for business. Um, COVID obviously affected you know some of those countries more than others, but a lot of them are, are saying now it's time that they they, they 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 need tourism to start building up again. They want importers from countries like Australia and you know America and Canada and Europe, UK, go over there and have a look. They want they they're screaming for people to come and have a look at their factories because the, the quality's there. It's it's definitely getting a lot better, um, and they're ready. They're ready. They're ready to be the next China for sure. They are built, the infrastructure's there, they're ready for that. So One Global, tell us a little bit about how it started. So One Global uh, is was started 12 years ago uh, by James Spark. Um, he's got a very good reputation in the market, both here in, in Melbourne and, and in Sydney, to be honest with you, probably from a, more of a national point of view. Um, James has been in the industry for 25 years. Um, he owned a big freight forwarder called Victory, um, in Melbourne, which had, uh, you know, f- between 75 and 100 staff. Um, that was booming for, for whatever reasons. They decided to basically shift the focus and, and the three big boys of that of, of that company uh, went their own way and James decided to move up to the Gold Coast and start what is, is One Global Logistics. So um, One Global is definitely a, a, a very interesting player in the market. If you ask myself, we, we tend to believe that we can play with the big boys um, even though we are a smaller scale company um i think the every year that goes by it allows us to do that as well i don't think you need 50 100 staff to do what we do anymore um but yeah so we work off an agency agreement we've got offices in every major city in in australia um but we have agency agreements internationally so we work with our partners rather than having one global branded offices in these other countries we have agents and, and, and partners over there which i believe works better um i've come from a, a multinational um, and drove to Brisbane every day and did that very well-structured business model, and I believe that it doesn't work as well as this does. I think um, having the ability to work with multiple partners gives you a bit more flexibility and gives you a bit more negotiation buying power as well. Um, but, yeah, so we've got our major offices would definitely be uh, Gold Coast. That's our head office. Uh, Perth is a big construction project office for us, and Melbourne is uh, is probably the up-and-coming. We're trying to build that very quickly. Um Melbourne obviously was affected very heavily by COVID, so we're you know we're kind of restarting there a little bit. We've we've brought in new people to give it a bit more of a fresh touch, um, but yeah, so about thirty staff in total, um, very close, very close teams, um, which I which I appreciate, which you probably have had the the the, the chance to, to meet and to have have a chat with over our multiple race golf. <laughs> piss up days um yes they've been um very exciting and it's been great to actually meet your team and yeah. be really welcomed by by all of them yeah it's a it's a good team it's i'm proud of that team it's um again obviously if, if it's if it's 50 100 people in, a, in an office you're not going to have that close contact that you do like we do you know those guys are, are next to each other every day they're, they're working together they're, they're they're finding solutions to problems together um 
they're a close team, and it's it's a good office to be part of. It is. <clears throat> I think that's very interesting. It's one of the things we Matt and I have spoken about, you know, with many of our sort of guests and um, the synergies we have with our business partners. All seem to have that same story that they've got a great team, and I think you know we, we all sort of buy and sell services or goods, but the heart of your business is is your team and your people. I couldn't agree more. And um, it's definitely something that you know, I've, I've, as I said, I've felt welcomed um, and in, interacted with from from your team and you know, especially James and yourself. Yeah, I think yeah that that feeling of um, that you know that team presence it starts from the top. So I'll, I will tell my hat off to James. He definitely he breeds that, and um, it's it's clearly very important, and you can feel that in our office. Um, there's you know if 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 there's something going wrong, we 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 grab on it, we jump on it straight away, and. He's very good with the team, you know, just with the little things, you know. I, I've worked in offices with, with 50 people and the, and the owner of the company you might not see for 12 months. Um, James walks in there five days a week, says hello to every single person and says goodbye to every single person as he leaves. So um, that's a crucial part of why I think we're so successful. Yeah, I think it's that, it's the, the big business vision, but small business uh, service. And I think that you've just got to have that, that small business ethos and morals about you. And I think that's the synergy that yep. we found that everyone has that, like you use Anderson's as a good example, where it's that country town values, values, right? And they've, that's, that's their whole business model essentially. And I think it's, it's the same. It's if, if you talk about, and, and it's such a, it's a bit of a wank to say that we're a family, but, but because we're not, you know, it, and I saw a funny video where it's like, you know, we're not a family. It's not, it's fast and the furious $10 an hour, right? <laughs> you know, like La Familia, but it's, you know, you, you're paying f- for be it. But there's something to be said to have that, that closeness and that, that feeling where you feel like you've got each other's backs. And it's not, you can have 50 people in an office and it's dog eat dog and, and no one really gets anywhere. And I think that there's something to be said for that small business values. I think that it, no matter how big your business is. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. You've got to be able to trust the person sitting next to you in the trenches. And I think that's what we do, especially with the, the last couple of years that we've gone through. Some people haven't lasted and some people have, but um, once you get out of that, you know that you can trust the person standing to your left and you can trust the person standing to your right um, because that goes a long way. You know, We're out there talking to customers, we're out there talking to clients that are basing their entire business on what we're telling them or on what we, what we tell them that we can do and what we can handle. Um, it's very important that we can trust each other to make sure that that happens. Totally agree. And, you know, something we spend a lot of time at Clever um, making sure that, you know, we do deliver on our promises. Um, Because as you said, you know, your sales guys, um, your senior management, all that are out there setting the platform, um, meeting with business partners, and then to have your team be able to deliver that at the highest level and with a smile, um, you know, and that's one of the things that I enjoy being at Clever um, is the feedback we get from all our support staff that, um, you know, they go beyond and it's because they're happy in their job. Mm. And I think that's a big thing, you know, and again, it doesn't matter how many, what numbers of people you've got, as long as they all fit together and work together, you know, we spend more time at work than we do, you know, at home. And when you said mm. we're a family, mm. <clears throat> you know, I spend more time with my work colleagues than I do at, do, do at home. Yeah. That's why uh, you're still married. It's probably the only reason I'm still married. <laughs> oh, I that you know me too good. We'll be spending way too long together. That's funny. Yeah. No, but I, I, I agree. I think that I know that uh, from a, a straight-up digital perspective that 
uh, it's it's just as important that uh, our clients have the same values as us. And if they don't, well, they don't mix, and yep. and and they don't. It doesn't work out at all. And we find that the long term clients that we have share those same values. And and I think the ones that fall by the wayside are the ones that probably don't have the same value set that that we do here. And you know, obviously, I'm talking with a long a couple long term clients of of Strap Digital here, and and I think that it's no surprise we're still working well together because we share those same values. Mm. Absolutely, and yeah. I think your the whole business model of Trap Digital could work. It could it could fix a lot of businesses. I think out there, you know, there's it doesn't matter what industry you're in, and I could be you know a little bit out of my reach here, but there's a lot of business that goes around. If you if you if you're willing to look for it, in no matter what industry you're in, there's business out there to get. Yeah. And I think it is important to pick and choose a little bit. You yeah. know, there's 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 no need to waste time and waste resources on a client that doesn't fit your business model. Yeah. Um, and I think you guys do that very well. And I think, I'm assuming Clever Choice probably does that very well as, as well. Yeah. Uh, it's something, actually, we had a meeting yesterday and that's one of the major discussions. Um, one of our newbies, you know, asked the question, oh, you know, what do you think the market's going to do this year? And, you know, it looks like with interest rates rising and all these effects. And I'm like, okay, they're influencers, but they don't control what we do. You know, what they do is they make us be diversified and always looking for opportunities. And, you know, all they are is excuses. Mm. Um, you know, you can get comfortable and you can ride on the back of what you've been doing, you know, in the past, or you can go out and look for new opportunities and keep growing. And, you know, so it was definitely a major thing that we spoke about just yesterday um, during the meeting was, you know, those who succeed, you know, are the ones driving forward. They're looking forward. They're not looking back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's an important sort of thing, you know, and the businesses like we just spoke about with Straight Up Digital, you know, since I've started um, working with you guys, I've seen, you know, extra staff. There's more bums on seats. Yeah. Um, and it's a growing business and the same as yourself, Jake. Absolutely, um, yeah. I think, yeah. Um, you're dead right, yeah. Like especially, obviously our industries are very different into, and, and the amount of excuses that we could use is, is, uh, is, is ridiculous. But... Um, they just become everyday words, but um, I think it is important. You adapt, and you just you have to be flexible, and yeah, you, you don't use them as excuses, and you find ways around them. And um, I think any any business at the moment, especially after going through COVID, you have to have a certain sense of solution based work. You know, you, you can't just do what everyone does. You need to find solutions to those issues. And um, I think the, the companies that find solutions to those issues the best are the ones that succeed. Um, so you spoke about international. Um, shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, what about locally? Um, so logistics, warehousing. Um, you know, what else is one global into? Yeah, so locally we we do work with partners for warehousing. Um, we have looked at multiple sites of opening up our own. Um, at one point, we were very close to doing that um, for reasons uncontrolled by us. That has been put on hold a little bit at the moment. Um, but yeah, so we can we can look after you with three pill and warehousing. It depends where it is. Um, warehouses in Australia at the moment are very jam packed. Um, everyone is screaming for for warehouse space. It's Gold Coast, like it's good luck. Um, we've got we've got I've got some partners, but you're going to pay through the nose to, to get it. Um, Brisbane's not too bad. Melbourne's very conge- congested. So is Sydney. Um, so yeah, warehousing as such is it's it's a very tough thing at the moment. Um, You've got to be you've got to be lucky to find something that suits your business, but there is there's you know it's out there. We can we can help you absolutely. Like we'll never say no to we 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 say that we're A to Z and we're a one stop shop, and there's a reason for that that we will handle everything. Um, 
in terms of trucking, we again work with partners, um, long-term partners. We, most of our trucking carriers we've been working with for over 10 years um, and that relationship obviously has its benefits. We get you know, first pick at a lot of different options and our rates are obviously very competitive. Um, but yeah, we like to say they're a one-stop shop and we believe that. So you know, anything on the road down here, or sorry, anything land side, we'll, we can handle, absolutely. And I see here um, project management. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, large projects that you're involved in. Yeah, definitely. So probably, I would say 30, 35% of our business is project work. Um, historically, it's all been construction and that in that industry. Big, we're, we're big in the facade game. So your, um, your curtain walls, the, the windows on the outside of the, the big projects over there and the high rises that you're looking at at the moment. Um, that's our historic, uh, that's what we, is our bread and butter. Um, we now do solar. That's our, that's our new, um, department, which is just a bit lower down there actually. Um, solar farms is our new baby. Um, so we're working with some of the big players in there to do, to bring in solar farms, um, to regional Australia. And when it says project management, I think the difference, the, the reason that that, that statement is there is because our competitors, look at themselves as freight forwarders. So they bring it in and that's it. You know, they, they'll work with your supplier. They'll, they'll bring it in from China or Valencia for the solar farms and they bring it in and once it's here, that's it. Um, we definitely take on a bit more of a role of project management. So we'll work with the installers. We'll work with the construction leads. We'll work with the site managers to make sure that everything is put is brought to site on time. If it's if it can't be on time, we'll, we'll, we'll look at storing it or, or having it somewhere else. Um, I think a lot of freight forwarders don't, realize that the, the the amount of different factors that come into play when working on these large projects like weather you know solar farm projects if it rains for a day you you, you put back a week so when that happens we need to make sure that we adjust adapt and and work with the with the importer or the client to make sure that the project itself is managed properly okay so so jake you're not an old man you know you're quite I appreciate a, that you're a bit of a young rooster i appreciate that why logistics why get into logistics? Initially? What, yeah. Um, it's a good question. Um, That's what I'm here for. Well, yes, yeah, so I was studying project management originally, uh, business and project management, and then um, I met a head of department in supply chain logistics. They, She thought that I was suited for the for the industry. I don't know. She was she was obviously dead wrong. You um, like to party? Yeah, I liked, yeah. well, you know, the industry does. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I basically just... Noticed that there wasn't a lot of players in the in the industry. Um, this is pro, this is pre COVID. I think the the universities would be seeing a whole different ball game now after COVID. I think the supply chain world has, has gone boom. Um, but at the time, there wasn't a lot of um, super intelligent, good looking people doing it. So I thought, you know, well, well, I'll step into that and see if I can grab that niche in the market. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, it's a, it's a good question. I don't know. Um, it was just something that I found interesting because I think every every day was different. The challenges were, the challenges were new. It kind of it kept you on your toes. Saying that after the last two years, I'm ready for a day without challenges. Um, they must be coming though. Oh, you just, think? It's just different. Uh, no, but you know what? I don't think there is a day without challenges. No, it's just the level that they come in. Because I think then once you get to a level, you then go. You try and push yourself to the next part. So I think so. Yeah. So there's challenges all the time. I just think you'd like to. Maybe just be a little less stressed than what you have been. Oh yeah, like I I, I didn't have grey hair twelve months ago, and I they're starting to come through. There's four now. There is four. They're all in your mustache, and they're long. Like. I appreciate that yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's yeah, it's a good industry. It keeps you, it keeps you on your toes. Um, 
the people are the people in the industry are funny. Like they 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 suit me. I guess they you know everyone's super stressed all the time and um but it's fast paced. I think that's what suits me. And um yeah, I've like I found a home in the industry and my client. I, I get along with my clients really well and I think I I. I I just enjoy what I do now, so it's good. so. Your role is client based. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it would be client based. Um, I think I'm a bit of a hybrid. I think you know. I also I like dealing with the team as well. Um, you know, f- for cl- a client based role in freight forwarding is usually very segregated. Um, and I wouldn't say I am. I like to be with the team. I like to talk with the team. I like to make sure that the relationships are very strong there. Whereas uh, you know, a, a normal development employee for a freight forwarder was pro- would probably be a little bit less in, inclined to talk to the team. I don't know. I'm just – I find I'm a people person, but not just with staff. I mean, not with – sorry, not just with clients. I think, like, the staff is very important to me. You know, I said, you know, they're very important to me, and I'm very proud of that team. So, um, I find that I find that odd because I think that I've had a multitude of sales roles over my life, and I, I understand that satellite feeling of salespeople where it's just like, just go and get us the sales. And then – you know, don't worry about everything else. But I've found that the best way it works is full collaboration. Absolutely. Because I think yeah, that the better sure. relationship that I had with the with the admin staff and with the staff in the office and with the order people and with the girls that were, were processing the orders or the, whatever, I found that my job became way easier. Well, it's, it's it's what we spoke about before. It's You're in the trenches with them. Yeah. Like yep. if, you can, if, if, they, if they, one, don't like you, they're going to leave you in the trenches on your own. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's all about recognition. And I think, you know, the guys that, that we've got are, we're, are very hand selected and we've, we've found the right team and they're very good at what they do. And um, I think, yeah, I think you're dead right. I think I just, obviously the, what I've got to compare to is they're very multi, multinational, large corporations. And I think there's a lot of pressure on numbers and a lot of pressure on sales. And I think they do it the wrong way. I think they, I think they do it backwards. I think, um, as you said, pushing someone out on the road and, and having no time with the team is it's wrong. It doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Um, especially in you know the last two years showed that you know the teams that didn't the teams that weren't together and the teams that weren't um, focused on on a on a joint goal failed. You had like you had to be able to turn to the guys left and right of you and say, hey, can I have a hand? Um, but I think that's what I like to believe that I'm there for as well. You know, I I started as a cartage coordinator i was delivering trucks and then i went to customer service and i learned how to route orders internationally so i'm also not the kind of guy that that just goes out there and makes a phone call and then sends an email for someone else to do it mm. um you know every single person in office knows that if they need to they can put their hand up and i'm ready to jump in that trench with them um and that's all part of it that's all part of the success that one global has yeah and, and i believe um that every employee is a salesperson like when you look at, um, you know, most businesses, you know, from, from your warehouse guys, um, you know, we've got great warehouse team. They're the, at the front face of our customers. The customers are coming in, picking up um, goods. So they're seeing our customers. We've got the administration and support team who are actually probably speaking to our customers more than what the sales reps are because they're the ones mm-hmm. managing the orders. So we sort of treat, I guess, our whole team um at clever as everyone is a salesperson because everyone you know wears the clever badge and everyone you know promotes what we do with the highest level of customer service and i think you know like you said you know the cus- the, the companies out there who valued that 
you know, especially through COVID and um, didn't lose the touch of connection with their customers are the ones that are soaring today. Yeah, I agree. I I, um, I couldn't agree more. So I, you can you can you can work for five years on a big on a big corporate client and lose them with one bad email. Yep. Or lose them with one crappy answer of a phone. Um absolutely every single person that works under the brand under the name is a salesperson i completely agree yeah. whether your accounts receivable accounts payable warehousing cartage routing customer service business development or you own the damn company if you don't do things the wrong the right way you, you can cost someone a client absolutely yeah 100 percent. excellent good place to finish i think absolutely love mate we've thoroughly enjoyed having passion uh, jakey b in the panic room with I, us today. I, I appreciate that, Maddie. I've, I've, I've enjoyed my time in the panic room. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for having me on, Michael. Oh, no problems, Jake. Thanks for coming in and sparing the time out of your busy golf and oh. horse racing days oh. and yeah. trips to Client Southeast management. Asia. Client management, it's called, Michael. Jake Bocock, thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. Mate, it's been great. little insight into what's ahead of us in the logistics world. Michael, it's been a pleasure. As always. Until our next episode, it's bye for now. See you later. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Underlay. If you want to hear more, follow us on all good podcast platforms.